Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Hi, everybody. Today, we are speaking with Jessica Winnie, who is a BCBA, and came to us to talk a little bit about OBM and performance feedback, which is a topic we're really excited to hear more about. So welcome, Jessica. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. I found you guys on my podcast, and I just thought I'd reach out um, and talk about, you know, what I did with my thesis and feedback. Awesome. I feel like it's such a you know, a topic that I feel like is more and more in the, in the field. We hear about BST and all that jazz. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to be here. Yeah, we are excited to hear more about it. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about you, um, your background, what you currently do? Yeah, um, I went to the University of North Texas and got my master's um, in behavior analysis. And I worked with uh, Jesus Rosales Ruiz, where we conducted a thesis on how to give corrective feedback. While at UNT, you know, I did some work with autism, some work uh, in adults with disabilities, but towards the end, I kind of had an OBM focus. I worked at an automobile shop and did a process improvement project there. Oh. So, and currently I'm at a, a Texas State Support Living Center as a board certified behavior analyst, um, but I still love uh, the realm of OBM and I, I talk about it and do it as much as I can. <laughs> I really love OBM too. That was one of the big focuses in my grad school as well. And, uh, you know, I, I never went into it much further than, you know, just implementing it within my centers, but um, I, I, I still love it and could talk about it for ages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, same here, same here. And I think part of um, when you reached out was so interesting is because a lot of us, I don't think are like prepared enough to be managers and to be creating structures and giving feedback. I think we get so focused on the content and the task list when we're studying um, that we don't necessarily realize like the other components of the job. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Mm -hmm. we're thrown into the role and all of a sudden, like people are looking to us for 
for feedback and training. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of like, what, what just happened? <laughs> um, so I thought it was a really an interesting topic to discuss. Um, and one of the things you mentioned is something that I was always trained on was that, you know, feedback sandwich was like, start by something mm-hmm. nice, mm-hmm. give them the constructive or, you know, more negative feedback and end with something nice. Um, you don't seem to be a fan of that. So what's your thought on that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, we call it the bullshit sandwich because <laughs> like, that's what me and my advisor call it just because it's just like, it, first of all, the learner that is not, isn't paying attention to the good. They're just going to focus on the bad. And then a lot of times the feedback sandwich is done after performance is done and it doesn't really give the learner an opportunity to practice what you're telling them you know it's the end of a behavior and the behavior we don't really know when's the next time they're going to have a chance to practice it it might be a few days from now or even 24 hours from now so really i i mean i didn't use the feedback sandwich in my thesis but when i was digging through the research you know a lot of people aren't really a fan of it because it really just doesn't tell them what to do differently and it doesn't make them feel successful. And it's just, I know when I've gotten the feedback sandwich, it's, I don't really pay attention to the good. It just is really anxiety producing. It's so interesting how feedback is also so subjective. Like mm-hmm. some people are like so eager to get feedback. I actually like hate getting feedback. It's like not mm-hmm. something that I, you know, ask for. I don't need it. I don't look for it. So like, I'd rather, and if you're going to give me feedback, I'd actually rather you not pretend it's nice. Like just tell me what you <laughs> tell me versus yeah. like yeah. saying what you like about it or not. So I find that it's like, you know, it is pretty subjective, but how you're going to give that feedback. So I'm curious to hear like what the research does say on giving feedback if it's not the sandwich. Yes. So in my thesis, I did it through the Portable Operant Research and Training Laboratory known as Portal, which was developed by Mary Hunter and Jesus Salatrees at the University of North Texas. And I love so them. I-, I met them at ABAI. Phenomenal. And Portal, P-O-R-T-L, for those people listening, mm-hmm. is a really awesome way to train staff. Was that the board game? Yes, the oh, board cool. game. Yes. So fun. Yes. it's. Uh, I love Jesus and Mary. They're very, I was really lucky. I was in one of the first Portal classes. And um, my thesis was unique because I actually talked during Portal because that's giving feedback. Um, but I did have a portal experiment and I had two different conditions and there's a lot of details of the two conditions. So I'll just kind of give a highlight. I had a feedback before condition where participants were given feedback before they were to match nonsense words to nonsense, uh, figures like Japanese symbols, um, uh, based on prior performance or they are given it. To them afterwards and it would be like point to cad backs and in the after condition if they got it wrong no this is cad backs and immediately correct them point to googly boop and it would just go like that where the feedback before they would say i'd show them i'd say point to punier and i'd show them where punier is and i'd point to you know um trying to remember all the words i used but you know whatever it was So those are the two conditions. Um, And what's interesting is in the feedback before, learners were quicker. So they, when their response time was a lot quicker. 
And when we looked at accuracy across conditions, we didn't actually surprisingly see any differences. Um, learners kind of learned at the same rate across conditions because it's nonsense um, and you're absorbing a lot at once. Um, and then they, in terms of which one they preferred, they preferred feedback before. But what was interesting is we also measured emotions. And as participants got more correct across both conditions, they reported being happy. And Jesus and I felt like the takeaway from that project was feedback should be immediately useful. So really, participants wanted feedback that was going to be useful for them, that they could use right away. And as the learners get more and more correct, they're going to feel better about the feedback that's given. Um, so that's kind of what I found in, in my line of research. Which really isn't that surprising to me because, you know, you look at, you know, priming, right? A BCBA mm -hmm. term, an ABA term that has been used for years <laughs> and years and years. Priming is really just pre-teaching and that's mm -hmm. what is good practice to do with our learners. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if our learners are walking into a situation, you know, we prime them ahead of time by either, you know, putting the events in their calendar or, you know, reading through a social narrative or telling them the expectations before they go in so that they can perform well. And mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense for us. Like when you put it that way with the research and stuff like that, you, of course, like, yeah, oh, wow. But really, I mean, we're setting our learners up for success. Why are we not mm -hmm. setting up our staff for success? And why are mm -hmm. we not priming mm -hmm. our staff? Hey, remember, you know, so-and-so's in and so-and-so does this and learns this way. So remember to give your SD this way. Oh yeah. yeah. Thanks for that. Versus you didn't give the SD that way. Like I told you to a month ago. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I find it also trickles into like my parenting because I'm so used to with staff, making sure the expectations are clear, telling them what to expect and kind of doing that priming and feedback in advance, as opposed to like, you did something wrong and you weren't supposed to do yeah. that. And yeah. so I find I do it with my kids also where like, you know, my husband might tell them that they did something wrong or he didn't like something that they did. And I'm like, but did they know that that was an expectation? Should they have known mm -hmm. first mm -hmm. that that was mm -hmm. what you expected? And so I find myself noticing, um, you know, that that retroactive feedback, or like telling someone they did something wrong may not be the most effective. So it's super interesting that the research supports that also. And, and in my, and yeah, I agree. I'm, I hate when people have given me feedback on an expectation that was not given to me. I'm like, excuse me, you didn't tell me that this was a rule. And now you're telling me this is a rule and punishing me for it. I hate when people do that. And in my research, like I was still correcting my learners beforehand because it was based on their prior mistakes. So, you know, um, so I, you know, I, I think it's fine to correct people because I'm the same way. Like, I want to be better. I want to do better. I want to find better ways to do things. But let's create a learning environment, not like a punishing, oh, you did things wrong environment. So I think by coaching people before um, and giving them the opportunity to practice, because I could talk about how training staff needs to change because, you know, I think the important part is practicing put it in a use so staff will remember just because I feel like sometimes people are like, well, I trained them. I'm like, yeah, you had them sit for eight hours in a seminar that was probably really boring and <laughs> you want them to now implement those skills. Um, but 
I think as far as like performance goes, you know, we want to, you know, make sure it's, it's relevant. We break down those skills and, you know, we don't overwhelm staff, you know, chunk it down, you know, shape them um, much like we do our clients. So what would the research say about the importance of not just the like sitting through the training, but, you know, doing it in person, kind of that experiential learning? Is that Mm -hmm. an important part of that whole sequence? I feel like that maybe that's what I should go get my PhD in. I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I don't really, I'm not sure because I didn't, I, that's what I feel like um, based on trainings I've been on. So it's probably my personal soapbox and assumptions. Um, you know, but I do know, like, in my experiment, it was all relevant to like the task at hand that they were learning. Um, so I, in my thesis, you know, um, making sure they practice and had success and got more and more right, because learners over time got, as the conditions went on, because we did an AB, AB, AB condition. Um, so as learners were going through the conditions, um, they were getting more and more right because they were remembering. Um, and uh, I feel like they are learning the task at hand until they mastered it. Um, and I think, you know, of course, the word, how you word it is important too, because like in the feedback after it'd be like, no, this is googly boop. And then in the um, before it was, hey, this is googly book, point of googly book. So I think um, how you phrase things to staff is also um, important as well. And that's something that, you know, I think if we had a suggestion for the fourth edition of our Coover manual, you know, mm-hmm. it would be um, to put in how to give feedback. Because mm-hmm. it's such an important component of mm-hmm. being a BCBA, yet mm-hmm. no one teaches you that. You get thrown into a supervisor mm-hmm. role and no priming, no nothing, just, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're not taught to be supervisors either. So it's just kind of like, you know, and and I think that's, you know, I agree. I think it needs to be in the book because, you know, like, more we just keep on getting more and more bcbas and which is great but you know if you have a new bcba training a new bcba it just kind of per- makes the problem a little more worse and worse totally um i'm curious what role like emotions play in all of that feedback like does it matter is it important to how they you know accept the feedback um so in both of my conditions when learners are getting probably like one to three correct cross conditions, because in portal, you report how you feel afterwards. So after the condition, I would have them report, how are they feeling? So when they're getting like one to like three correct, you know, they're like, I feel bad. I feel, you know, overwhelmed or lost or frowny face, you know, um, which is really curious to me because like as a researchers, I think we make assumptions about what's going to happen. Uh, and I didn't anticipate that I'd see that across conditions um, because even though they were getting the feedback before, it was still a lot for them to remember because it was like 20 total across conditions words with nonsense symbols. So it's kind of a lot to deal with. Um, so that was really surprising to me. But as learners were getting more and more correct, they reported feeling better. 
and happier. I think it was around like six or seven. I saw their emotions shift um, because they were getting more and more correct. Um, so that was yes, yes, yes. I did see like around seven or eight. You know, people were like, "I feel confident," or "Yay," or "Smiley face." So that was really cool because it kind of supports like. Um, what Israel Goldiamond suggests is that um, emotions play into contingencies um, uh, is what he suggests. And we really saw that like the contingency of, of positive reinforcement, we saw happiness because they are getting more and more correct. So that was really fun to see that there was evidence beside Izzy saying, hey, emotions play a role in contingencies. Um, we're not just emotional. It comes from the contingencies at play. And that's what we saw because the more positive reinforcement people were getting, the happier they were feeling. And I think that goes into feedback is if we can set up feedback as, you know, people are getting more the, the good than the bad, or that learning is turned into a reinforcing event, then I think we see, you know, people are happier. And were you using reinforcement outside of like, in addition to the feedback or the feedback was the reinforcement? I'm not really sure what they felt like the reinforcer was, but I did use like a portal, like everyone you got correct, you would get a click and then you'd get a token. Um, So that's how portal was set up. So that's the reinforcer in portal. Um, But also I used, um, but yeah, that's what I use. Um, I use the click. Almost sounds like it was their own feelings of satisfaction that became the enforcer. Yeah, yeah. This this would have huge implications for a center. So just Mm -hmm. in terms of staff culture. And if you're giving feedback in one particular way and people are not feeling empowered and confident, you know, the staff culture may be affected, whereby Mm -hmm. if you're giving feedback in a different way so that, you know, they're having success and feeling confident, Mm -hmm. imagine what that does to the staff culture. Yeah, I just read um, Bernays Brown's Dare to Lead book. And that was really interesting because she talks about feedback in her book. So I feel like I need to dissect that book and think about it in terms of my and of my thesis because her company, she very much has like a feedback culture. Um, so some of her t- suggestions were, um, you know, really interesting to me as a scientist because I think she said, like sometimes like they have like a circle back after feedback, you know, you get the feedback and then you like circle back and you kind of like say like how you felt and stuff like that. So I thought that was really interesting, but I do think it's really important to foster a feedback community. Cause my experience has always been like avoid, avoid, avoid. Um, and I've just had to change like how I get and receive feedback. Um, because I didn't like how it was given to me because I'd be surprised or, you know, people really wouldn't tell me what I needed to change. And then that led to like some awkward situations. And then it's just like, you know, it's kind of like, okay. (laughs) So for me, like what I do personally is I check in with my bosses. I ask for mentorship. Like I, you know, seek those things out. um, And I create the culture for myself because I I agree. I think it could change, you know, centers, you know, I think, you know, people want to do well. And I think people kind of just have been promoted um, in these positions. It's not just BCBAs that are being thrown in without 
training on how to give, be a leader, get feedback. It's across the industry, you know, um, people are just being promoted and never being trained on how yes. to do this key component. Yeah. And I like the idea of being, um, you know, referring back to something specific when you give the feedback. So even though it's in advance, you're still like using previous experience to mm-hmm. like, you know, um, inform the type of feedback that you're giving. Cause I think what you were saying, indirect feedback is really not helpful. I think that mm-hmm. people value something that's direct, even though it might be like mm-hmm. you know, a difficult conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're only doing our staff and our clients and everybody a service. If we can just be honest and be direct mm-hmm. and be specific, like to give something yes. too generic or too general, um, and sometimes giving that in advance takes a lot of work for us to think of a specific example and think mm-hmm. about how we're going to phrase it. Something that I like to do is have like regular ongoing check-ins so that it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like if I have to give you feedback, oh, I'm booking a meeting and that must be a bad thing. Like meetings mm-hmm. are, you know, on an NCR, <laughs> they're just yes. like happen. And yes. sometimes there's feedback in those meetings and sometimes they're just positive. And so having it be less you know, nerve wracking that this is going to be, feedback, mm-hmm. but like having it just be an ongoing direct and open conversation, I think is important. Yeah. I think, I think that's great. Cause I think, you know, people are like, Oh, I need to talk to you. And you're like, <gasps> or like, we have to meet. I get I'm like, too, right. <laughs> and then, I'm like, you know, what? <laughs> and then, you know, if the person who's receiving feedback is nervous because they have to meet with the boss, you know, and yeah. Or, or the supervisor is nervous because they have to give feedback. It's just not a great situation, um, period. You talk about a rapport dance. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, it's so hard to like accurately say, and maybe this will be my other PhD as how I explain <laughs> what I do, because I don't, I know it's like based in science. My friends call it the Jess effect because it just kind of... Yes. Yeah, because my name's Jessica and I go by Jess sometimes. And uh, but I think with rapport, you know, it's one identifying reinforcers. So figuring out what's valuable. And there's a book, I know it's like more religious, but I think it's a good foundation to think about types of reinforcers, but it's called the five love languages. So it just kind of I think it kind of breaks down reinforcers nicely. It's It's very behavior analytic. Yes, yes. (laughs) So it's you know, if it talks about quality time. So you could think about different types of quality time. It talks about gifts, you know, tangible reinforcers. It talks about physical touch, you know, again, sensory, you know, um, talks about words of affirmation, which would be, you know, praise and then acts of service, which would be probably, I don't know which one that would be, but, (laughs) but, you know, you can kind of think about, okay, what are the reinforcers of, you know, this person, you know, what do they find valuable, you know, um, and it's going to be dependent upon the person, like how they give, give feedback and all that. So, you know, rapport, you know, uh, for me, it's just figuring out what is my staff like, you know, um, one of the guys at the shop hated me because I did a performance improvement thing at the shop. He hated me. Um, um, first meeting was 15 minutes because I did the construction questionnaire. Mind you, everyone else is like 30 minutes or more. Um, and now we like, he, I go to him for advice. He fixes my car. We have a really good relationship. And for him, I, I've realized that quality time is very important to him. And if you listen to him and hear what he has to say, 
that to him is very valuable. So I will like, I will never drop off my car to have my oil changed. I will, I will never, unless I'm in a tight, tight bind, I won't do it. Um, I will only have him work on my car. Like I'm very specific, you know, they'll offer me other things. I'm like, nope. Like I said, I know Chuck, I know how he is. Like, Mm -hmm. I know he wants these reinforcers. Um, you know, uh, so I think like, and you just have to like realize when, you know, the cup's getting a little empty because once that bridge is burnt, you are in trouble. Uh, I was talking to a friend and, you know, her supervisor burnt a bridge and she is now having to build it back. And that's really hard to overcome, um, especially because your feedback means nothing, nothing yeah. anymore. So you kind of have to just realize when you're asking too much or if you're a- giving a lot of demands. And of course, being genuine. Like when I talk about it, people are like, oh, be genuine. I'm like, yes, like it's not like an exchange system. Like, of course, be genuine. Like these are things I want to do. But there are also things I'm really hypersensitive as a behavior analyst being like, oh, I haven't done XYZ. Like I need to like schedule in my calendar, which doesn't sound genuine, but it's like sometimes we get busy. But I think it's um, important to just be like, ooh, like they seem like they're having a bad day. I, I'm probably not going to. Yeah, it's a relationship that you're working on. Same as like any marriage or any relationship, even with your kids mm-hmm. or your coworkers or anything like that. It's it's putting intention behind it. And mm-hmm. I love the integration of that example because it's not just about the reinforcer. I give you the reinforcer and I'm out. It's about the reinforcer mm-hmm. is building the relationship and it's exactly yes. using that reinforcer towards a relationship. It's not just like using it in isolation. Well, like here's your cookie or, you know, here's your good job. Um, yes. How can I use that to build our relationship? So I like that yes. example a lot. And is, as a BCBA, it gets so difficult, especially as a newer mm-hmm. BCBA, when you're throwing all of this stuff at you mm-hmm. and you still have to learn it yourself as well. So you may have yeah. that imposter syndrome, like, wow, how did I get this role in the first place? Need to learn this role. And now I have to give feedback to people who are were my equals two weeks ago. Like, I don't quite mm-hmm. understand. Yeah. So yeah. You know, I, I get that demand. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's real. I like what you said about scheduling it in your calendar. And I know that doesn't feel genuine, but like Shira said, you know, the non contingent reinforcement, like every two weeks mm-hmm. I have a meeting with so-and-so or schedule in just quick check-in. And I mean, what I used to do is just be available at eight 30 in the morning when everybody yeah. walked in the door, I yeah. Yeah. Was at eight 25, you know, to be there at eight 30 when my staff walked in just to say, Hey, how's it going? Hey, Hey, you know, and then also be there at nine when the parents walked in that kind of thing and just making yourself available. And that would be, you know, 10 minutes out of my day. Um, but that 10 minutes mm-hmm. does count. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage new BCBAs, something that I've found, I'm neurodivergent, so I have ADHD. So I've always had to work really hard in my schooling. And something I've, I've found to be successful is I would meet literally, I'd go, you made me think of like office hours, because I would go in early to just go over my assignments or get additional help or whatever. But I ended up building, speaking of relationships, really good relationships with my teachers doing that. Um, They provided me great recommendations for grad school. So if you're looking into grad school, go to office hours. Even if you get get hundreds, just go talk to your advisor so they know who you are. Um, But, uh, you know, once you have your BCBA, you're not done. You know, I'm really lucky. I have Melinda Soda. He's a great instructional designer. 
to Clayton, who's a, you know, BCBA working, practicing outside BCBA land. You know, I have Jesus and Mary, you know, at UNT, you know, I think it's important to have those mentors where you're just like, I need to talk to you about doing X, Y, Z, because I don't know how to do it, you know? Um, so I think that's, you know, being a new BCBA, you know, I think it's, is so hard because you're like, I don't know how to do this, but you're not alone. You know, you just seek, you know, someone out, you know, whether that's at your current job or your previous job, you know, um, so you can get feedback on how you're doing and, and being in that role. Cause it's, it's, it's hard. You know, I, I find it even hard. You know, I work at the state support living center and there's, uh, a little bit of a culture difference. A lot of my staff are from Africa and, um, they find what my individuals do to be really offensive. They give them so much attention. Um, so I haven't even gotten to the point where I've wanted to give them corrective feedback, um, because they're working 16 hours. Um, and they're just stretched thin. They all still have to wear masks. So my like going about it is very slow. Um, I, I, I try to be there in the apartment, play with them, um, kind of give them examples of what to do. And I'm hoping slowly I can say, okay, let's, let's practice not saying anything, but like, I don't feel like I'm there yet just because I think when it comes to feedback, realize the conditions under which people are being asked to work. And I know my conditions for my staff are not ideal. Um, you know, having to do a lot of expectations as a DSP, working 16 hours, all that jazz. Like, I try to model what I want them to do because um, I know that a lot's expected of them. And I don't want to come in there and be like, you're not running the plan right. I'd yeah. be like, well, screw you. I just worked 10 hours for the past four days. So, like, every single day. So, you know, I think you know, I know that's balance. I kind of went on a uh, yeah. soapbox there. but Yeah, it's a balance of like knowing when to jump in and build a relationship versus give the feedback. And, and mm-hmm. you have to know your audience, right? And know when mm-hmm. you can push and when you can pull. Um, I was going to ask, I think you may have answered it, but some of our audience are, you know, newly minted BCBAs mm-hmm. and we like to offer them some advice. Would you say that it was that like find mentorship and seek feedback, mm-hmm. those kind of things? Yeah, I would say, I'd say, you know, stay in contact with your regular mentors, but like I even find mentors at like my new job. I was at a school last year, the vice principal or assistant principal was my mentor. She knows she knows she deals with behaviors a lot, but she doesn't really know the behavior analysis realm. But she really, you know, worked with me on just professional goals um, and met with me. And at this job, you know, my bosses are available for me for mentorship. But I definitely have like my two I always call are Pipper, Pipper Melinda. I'm like, hey, here's my situation. <laughs> um, uh, and of course, there's people, you know, my professors like Jesus. Um, is available at UNT if I need, you know, um, other things. So yeah, just, just really find a mentor. I think that's so important. You know, our field is growing, which I think is exciting, but, um, you know, kind of like you guys have alluded, there's things off the task list that aren't on the task list that like, Oh, surprise, you know, like, uh, ones for me has been dealing with difficult parents, you know, that's, they don't teach you how to do that. That's really emotionally <laughs> taxing. Um, <Yes>. So, <laughs> you know, um, so I really think, you know, finding a mentor to 
you know, help you through how do I get feedback? How do I deal deal with this, you know, difficult mom or, you know, one of my clients passed away, you know, if you work with adults that happens, you know? Um, so yeah, I'd say find a mentor. <laughs> yeah, that's a great answer. And I think there's always more to learn and having somebody to support you. Through mm-hmm. that is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Yeah. Really thanks for having- yeah, it was great. I, um, thanks for having me. It's a great message. Um, is there any way that you want to share that people can find you? Um, yeah, I'm old school. I do not have a web page, but I do have an Instagram and a Facebook, which is constructing.dreams underscore, or people can really old school it and email me <laughs> at uh, <laughs> Jess, at gmail.com. And those will be in the show notes as well. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jessica. And uh, good luck with all your future theses. And you'll have to come back and tell us how those go. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com. And make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.